As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach, and I'm thrilled to be joined as always by my friend and colleague, Michael Felder from Stadium, to break down the biggest storylines in college sports this week in an hour or less. As a reminder, if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Staples Show and Friends on Apple Podcasts, and give us five stars because... Much like Ari Wasserman's favorite recruits, we want to make an immediate impact, and that's really our favorite type of player. Um, Well, maybe not always, but Felder, I am excited to be back with you, and I know how happy you are that we are now three full weeks of college football into the season. So much to discuss, and we are like knee-deep in figuring out if teams are good, if teams are bad, where they're going to improve, and players are already transferring. We are like in the heart of it. Yeah, it's 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 nice to have football to talk about, and then obviously, I know you've got some CFP stuff to talk. But like for me, I feel normal. Like this feels this feels like normal for me uh, because my workflow is set out, and I'm a schedule guy. I'm a creature of habit, and part of my habit is watching games four times, and this is what gets me there. Well, I I do need to get a quick update on the amount of chicken wings that you are having for the year. You are trying to have how many different kinds? So, well, it's not just chicken wings. So I'm trying to smoke 100 different iterations of chicken. Okay. Um, and where, where are also, we? I'm at um, 60, I think 61 mm. is where we are. So it's going to be tight. Might not get to 100. We'll see. Uh, but I do wings every week. And we did mango habanero uh, last night. I used to do smoke wings Saturday in the off season. Now we're in season. So I flipped it to Monday. And literally, we did mango habanero with a little bit of agave, good sweet with a little back-end heat. That's what I'm up to. So, yeah, like I'm – again, Monday is my – I know, listen, everybody's Garfield, right? You get a, Everybody's Garfield. They hate Mondays. I love Monday. Monday is my favorite day because Monday is the day where I break out the big monitor. I run through games. I chart plays. I do all that stuff. So I love Mondays. And to add on to add 
fun on top of fun. I also smoke wings on Monday. Okay, let's 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 let's, let's get playoff, and then we can talk some football. Okay. Well, I'm just I, I just every every time before as we're prepping for the show, I am checking your Instagram, see what the latest cooking concoction is, and there's always wings. So that's why I wanted to I wanted to see where we are on the the quest <laughs> for a hundred. Um, so you know we're recording this Tuesday morning. I am about to catch a flight and head to Dallas um, just to monitor a meeting of the 10 FBS commissioners and Notre Dame athletic director, Jack Swarbrick. They are meeting, I mean, they've got a million things they can talk about, but theoretically to talk about playoff expansion ahead of next week's meeting where they meet with the presidents in the board of managers who can actually decide things. And what's interesting about these meetings are they've been on the calendar for a while and especially the one with the presidents when they put out that 12-team playoff proposal back in June. They Mm -hmm. said, hey, let's do a summer evaluation period, and then let's meet at the end of September. And I think they were hoping at that point they could rubber stamp a 12-team model, tell you what day it starts. Whereas we are not there. People are not happy. The questions about the process. There are people who would like to look at 8, not 12. There's, There's a whole lot going on. But there's enough people that want to delay this thing and and hopefully take it to an open market in 2026 or at least let the dust settle from conference realignment. So we'll see. But I I will be covering these two meetings um, and and whatever incremental updates come from them. But it's definitely an interesting time to be to be broaching that subject, especially in season, because I think we all it's been great to get to be back around the games. But it does underscore the point that we might have a 14 playoff for five more seasons. So some of these issues about, as Falder, you like to say, those of us who college football is your favorite sport. I mean, I'm sorry, TV show, favorite TV show. Some of those issues are still going to be there. And especially if by the end of next week, you have these people saying, all right, we are slowing this thing down. And, you know, it's going to be a while. Like, we're, we're going to have to get used to this four-team thing that we've been living in for a while and uh, just kind of sit in that for a bit. Yeah, I mean, let's, what, what's going to happen with this meeting? Like, le- legitimately, like, I know you're, you were talking, people are upset, people are, like, coming out of this meeting, do you think there's going to be some sort of a definitive date, number, anything? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think originally, yes, that was, that was the hope, um, the September 28th meeting. But at this point, if you have enough people in the room that want to – like, I think the, the size of the playoff and the format is a separate issue from the timeline. And you have okay. enough people who want to slow down the timeline. And I, I do think, you know, do you ultimately end up at 12? Probably. But are there people in that one like to look at eight again or look at where the games are played for championship rounds? Does the Big Ten want to play in NFL Dome stadiums in, in their footprint and not every game in Dallas or wherever, right? Like, I think those those are all issues that, that need to be worked out. But just like when they unveiled the thing and didn't have a date and a time frame, um, I think the how and why and what size are still um, up in the air. But we'll have a better idea of timeline in the in the sense of like is it probably going to be 2026 or like like how how are they going to keep the ball rolling towards this but probably delay this a few more years so we'll have a better sense of that coming out of next week um but this is going to be you know obviously you've got some of the key players greg sankey sec commissioner bob bullsby big 12 commissioner in the same room working you know working together for for you know again they've been on calls but you know, just 
for it's it's been an awkward few months since Texas and Oklahoma left the Big Twelve. So all of that how, will be monitored. How much how much say does someone like Oresco or or any of the other G five like how do they how much sway or say are they just sitting there listening in a meeting like this or speaking up? Like what does that feel like? Well, it's a great question because you know obviously I can't sit in the meetings, and so you're kind sure. of figuring whose personalities who who runs the show. And then you talk to people afterwards, but obviously, you know, Greg Sankey is an influential voice in in any meeting he's in. But I'm super curious, especially coming out of the way that everyone had responded to the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma, what that means, and those leagues that formed the alliance also in the meantime in the last few weeks that weren't part of... Plus the expansion. Yeah, and they they didn't have a say in playoff expansion. So, you know, what do they want to get across here? And then, yeah, the Big 12 added teams, you know, people going to view them. Like, they still kind of have the same sway. Uh, So all of that stuff's going to be pretty interesting. It's all, you know, kind of the behind the scenes of of how this stuff gets made. And and we'll have a much better sense, you know, over over the course of these two meetings, how how all this plays out. But there's a lot of tension and distrust, um, which always adds a layer to this to this stuff as well. Um, but let's get into actual football. And obviously, a lot of the shows on this feed in particular have hit on Alabama, Florida a ton. And what we've learned about both of those teams. Um, so we're not going to dwell on it too, too much. But Felder, I did want one take on each of those teams that we learned, a question we still have, or just, um, you know, do you buy into this idea that Alabama is more mortal than they've been? Well, I think the big thing for me is going to be who can do what Florida did. And, and, and obviously, I know we're going to talk about Clemson later. I think Florida's a unique animal in terms of their willingness. And I'm almost halfway through this game again. But their ability to confuse Bama up front with two, three, and four-down four linemen was interesting. So for me, with Florida, and again, remember, they didn't have Anthony Richardson at their disposal, which means they're more explosive than they were in a game where they looked pretty explosive in spots. So I think for me, with Florida, it's a defensive – it's defense in figuring out how they are going to game over game duplicate some of the some of that uh, response early, big mistakes, zone blitzes that didn't get home late, very good defense stout up front, and their smaller guys up front were still stout, which was really fun to watch. And for Alabama, I am very curious about their running game. Um, because if you can't get a yard sometimes, that's going to be a problem. And this is a team that could always get a yard. So to me, that's those are my two. Yeah, I think that was one of my takes as well about Florida was, um, you know, we saw the the very little things that, that cost them the game and, and, you know, a play call and a two-point conversion, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, you know, who, who's going to play better than they did in every other area and not make – those mistakes right and play basically perfect um so you know they're still going to be the team that that we think they are um and i I think that people like to believe we're gonna get into this in the last call but i think people like to believe that teams are beatable that we're not used to seeing lose um what about what about penn state what did we learn from penn state auburn i think that one auburn's a quality football team they've got some uh, obviously, like uh, I still don't understand how Bo Nix throws the football, um, but that's just that's just me being. I feel like it's just it's weird, like the way that the ball shoots up into the air. I don't understand, um, but they're good. 
and I love Owen Papo. He's one of my favorite players that I've ever covered from a recruiting standpoint. And seeing him make plays is really fun and awesome. And it's just with Auburn, you just have to make sure that they're not over-pursuing. But this is a team that's good. So they're going to be a problem, I think, going forward. And they, they've, they've figured out that, hey, we run the football and then we take some chances down the field. But I love that they take the chances down the field because some teams won't even take those chances. And Penn State, the same thing. They, um, they, they've, they've found – with Clifford, he's always been really good in some of that intermediate space. But they still take chances down the field, and they force you to have to cover the whole field. And that's something – uh, that I find that I respect and really appreciate about teams because if you can force teams to worry about a vertical push, that means that they don't have to. They don't. They're not spending all day worried about the run. Also, I think uh, Jacoby Brisker is maybe one of the baddest men in all of college football. I absolutely love uh, watching him play, and I mean, like this is the second game that he's ended for his team, and. He's all over the field, shows up on the stat sheet and does stuff that you don't even see. So I love it. Yeah, I I thought obviously it was a great game. It was exactly what we love about college football on campus game. I've been trying to underscore that as much as possible. Please keep scheduling these types of games. Don't put them in neutral sites. And I just keep thinking about Sean Clifford kind of doing that lap around the stadium and and how electric it was. But I'm totally with you on the Penn State vertical passing game. I've always loved Jahan Dotson and weirdly felt like we kind of just assumed Chris Olave is the best receiver in the country or the best receiver in the Big Ten and not putting Jahan Dotson right up there. So I love that he had kind of like a coming out coming out game. I love how 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 James Franklin is so conscious about making sure he gets as much touches as possible he had him throw the pass he's he's used he uses him in special teams right like he wants him to touch the ball um so I I thought it was just a great college football game I think that we uh you know I I agree with you I think that Auburn's a very solid team and that's the kind of game that's a really great game for Penn State to win like we, we saw how tough they had to be especially defensively against Wisconsin to get that win but to come up with the stops when they did to go down the field when they did. Um, it, it was just, we, we, I feel like we learned a lot about the character of this team and, you know, what that means. And I think that means, you know, you had that coupled with Ohio State still working through their defensive issues and Michigan and Michigan State coming on and looking really, really good through three weeks. And it, it's exciting to think about the Big Ten East being more wide open than it's been for for however many years. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So I wanted to get into Michigan, the school conversation about the Michigan schools, because 
Um, you know, I, I think that they might be one of the more interesting stories of the young season so far. And let's start with the Wolverines, because I think we all want to be very cautious when we buy into like, you know, have they figured some stuff out? Is, you know, are they are they working offensively? Uh, you know, is this the year that Harbaugh breaks through, contends for a Big Ten title, beats Ohio State? But this team seems really solid. They are just crushing Crushing teams that they should crush. They're not making a lot of mistakes. And they are running the ball the way that anyone who likes teams that run the ball run the ball, where they just are going to keep doing it and you can't stop them and they're going to keep doing it. And they have a great one-two punch. Um, how do you feel about Michigan? Like, do you, how, how much do you buy into what we've seen so far? Um, I mean, I don't. Like, we'll see. Like, I just don't – like, this isn't me being cautious because they're Michigan. It's more just what am I – like, th- them running the ball wasn't isn't a pro- wasn't a problem. Like, that, that wasn't a thing that was a big issue all the time. Oh, by the way, Jaquan Brisker, not Jacoby Brisker. Jacoby Brissett, Jaquan Brisker. Um, but, anyways, to, to, like, to me, Michigan running the ball isn't a thing that I – was remarkably worried about. I know, obviously, last year, the Indiana game, the Wisconsin game, those were problems. And, and, and obviously, they had issues running the ball against Ohio State a couple years ago. Yeah, I get that. But to me, those were those games were a symptom of a bigger issue, which is your ability to push the ball down the field. And what they're doing now, it feels very LSU Leonard Fournette. And we are... And so, and, and that's not a knock. LSU, Leonard Fournette, they ran the ball really, really well, right? Like, they, they could run the ball, and that's what they did. And they ran it and ran, and they ran and ran and ran people over and ran a lot and ran, and they got a lot of rushing yards. And that's not bad until you come up against a team that's as big and as strong as you. And a team that's as big and as strong as you is not going to let you push them around in the same way, which means you have to do something else. And I am, for me, yes, kudos to Michigan. I'm, I think it's fantastic the way that they're running the football. I think it's awesome. I think it's going to work against, if you look at their schedule, it's probably going to work against, we've already seen it work against three. It's going to work against four this weekend with Rutgers. I'm very curious to see Wisconsin. It's going to work probably against Nebraska. It's going to work against Northwestern. I'm curious to see it against Michigan State. I'm, it's it's going to work against Indiana. I'm curious to see it against Penn State. It'll work against Maryland. And then obviously, again, we're curious to see it about Ohio State, a team that's got their own problems. I just, I want to see more. There's got to be some duality involved I, I think there I think play. there will be I think when you lose your best receiver in week one you have to lean on now your best players which are your running backs right like sure in, yeah. so so I I don't think like obviously that's why I made that LSU that's why I equated it to LSU like you lean on your best player which is Leonard Fournette and you just keep giving him the football in this case you give it to your two you give it to to Corum and you give it to um Hassan Haskins. Um, Haskins. Yeah, yeah, you give it to them. Yeah, sure. I get but, that. What but I'm, but I, think, I think that everyone, you know, two weeks ago where you, like, barely throw the ball at all, everyone was like, can you win like this? Can you win without having a, a passing game? I mean, obviously, they, they blew out Northern Illinois. It wasn't, you know, a, a tight game or anything, but they did throw the ball around more. I mean, you're, gonna, you're going to add that. They're not going to be a one-dimensional 
offense forever. But I do think they're taking a lot of pride in that. And, and theoretically, you know, when based when on t- what, I, I, like I under like they're not going to be a one dimensional offense forever. Based on what? Well, they they have to. Not right? Be. No, no, no. I, I that's that's what I'm getting at. Is sure in like in theory they have to do something else. And that's why I pointed out those specific games against Wisconsin, Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State. Those four games, those teams, like, if you play a football game where teams can put 11 guys within nine yards of the line of scrimmage, and those 11 guys match up in terms of size and strength with your guys, you're going to have a problem. And I just, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a wait-and-see guy. Like, it's one of those things where... And again, going back to the LSU parallel, I remember looking at LSU and they were living in the same world as Georgia Tech, Army, and Navy when it came to their vertical passing game. You can't live there if you want to reach the mountaintop. And so I want to see more than a focused effort against a lesser opponent to move the ball down the field. Like, do we think like like look let's extrapolate? Do we think that Georgia's passing game is magically improved over the because of the last two weeks? I don't. No, I mean I think everyone. I I think it's you can be cautiously optimistic about things, and and no one is no one wants to go all in on Michigan based on when we have in the early season, and then things falling apart. But I think. You have to think that they will figure those pieces out at some point. And, I mean, I mean, you have to you have to hope, right. but you don't have to think that they will. Well, this this is part of what the whole overhaul of the staff eventually finding quarterback, right? So, that, but this is why people are cautious about Michigan because we've we've seen you know teams that have gotten out to hot starts before and then just they cannot play against the good teams. I, I, I would like I mean, to, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's why I'm going with this, this LSU parallel, like LSU, what is it? 2014, 2014's with Fournette. LSU was 116th in passing. They went eight and five because they played teams that matched up with them physically. Like they, they lose a game to a Mississippi state team that was big boys up front. They lose a game to, Auburn, who's big dudes up front. They lose a game to Alabama, obviously. Big guys up front. Like, that's, I mean, I just, that's that's my worry. And I don't think it's wrong to be worried about it because it's a a real thing. And I don't, like, I'm not upset about it. Like, they're doing, Michigan is doing a phenomenal job at getting running backs to the second level untouched. That's remarkable. That's what you want out of your offensive line. They're getting guys to the second level untouched. These guys have probably more yards before contact than most other teams in the country. That's awesome. I love that about it. Like That's what I want to see. That's the thing I love about watching football and love about teams that run the football. The way that they're able to get someone full speed at to six yards is amazing. I love that. What happens when you have a team that doesn't let you do that? Now you have to change stuff. And... That's the part that I'm curious about. So, like, that's the part that I'm not – that's the part I'm not sold on. So, I'm. it's not that I think they're going to be a bad football team. Again, I only – I pointed out four games. Four games. That's – those are the four games that are going to be interesting to me. 
Well, let's talk about one of the teams you included in there, uh, Michigan State. Now, I, I think sure. you probably would most years anyway, just because the rivalry, they beat them last year. But what do we see in Michigan State so far? Because I, I mean, Miami is not a good football team right now. They missed, you know, I, every tackle that they possibly could in that game. Uh, that program's in a bad place. But Michigan State was pretty impressive in that game. Kenneth Walker's a real deal, I think, at the running back position. Um, Peyton Thorne has not made mistakes yet this season. But I thought, like, the way that they kind of responded whenever Miami, you know, kind of pulled, came into the game, you know, made things a little bit close, was was pretty telling about something about this team. Um, where... Where are the strengths? Where are the concerns? How how are we feeling about Michigan State, which feels ahead of schedule in Mel Tucker's second year? Well, I mean, they got to send a thank you note to um, Wake Forest and for Kenneth Walker and their reality. Like, I don't know. If, I don't think it's. I'm not sitting here. I don't think they're better than Michigan. I'm not. I don't know which one of these teams are better, but I know more about Michigan State than I know about Michigan. And that's, I think that's the crystallized point of what I'm trying to the, – the crystal, crystallization of the point I'm trying to make. With, Mich, with Michigan State, one, I, and I understand exactly why Kenneth Walker went there instead of, instead of staying at Wake. He gets the ball deeper in the backfield, which allows him time to see things happening instead of running the claw fence, which was him riding the mesh point longer, being closer to the line – Largely, in many spots, being unable to cut back, having to, 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 to take that, those steps. So that's one thing. I, I, he gets the ball deeper in the backfield, and his cutback ability, we saw a couple really nice, really big cutbacks. Zone right, he's going all the way back to the left after pressing, pressing the hole, pressing the line of scrimmage, and then realizing, oh, they're over-pursuing. And you mentioned the missed tackles. Missed tackles happen because of good football play like this wasn't like it's like Kenneth Walker made them miss tackles because he got them off balance he's he's taking hard steps with that right leg and to get back to the left and they're over pursuing they've got a real pursuit problem at Miami they don't keep their head behind the football at all and um plug plug I'm doing a tape don't lie about Michigan State and one of the big things I'm gonna there's a play literally where he cuts all the way back across the grade it's run left he cuts it back to the right and you can see Miami go from six guys on the right side of the center to three guys on the right side because they're over-pursuing. And it's just one of those hard facts of like, oh, we're not in position. We don't keep our head behind the football. So with Michigan State, one Peyton Thorne has been a revelation. Um, maybe the best they've had since, what, Connor Cook? and Because it's been up and down, rocky for them with who they put into that spot and it's funny I said Rocky because uh, I was going to say Lombardi's was that one. a pun? <laughs> yeah, with oh man, that was he's a very funny guy and got to spend some time with him uh, out in uh, Redondo Beach. But man, quarterback like quarterback for this for this really hyper pro style focused system is not was that's that wasn't in the cards. And so I think the big thing watching this is um, is they they they've created one. They've reinvigorated the running game, which we know that Mel Tucker wants to do. They have also found ways to get the ball down the field, whether it's Hayward as some sort of a weird mismatch. I still don't understand what position he actually plays. 
um, and then Jalen Naylor uh, as an actual vertical threat. They have the two things that you need. You need a run game. You need a pass game. You need both of those things. And I will say this, too. Um, I don't know what they're doing up there, but they look a lot faster than before. And it could be a Mel Tucker thing coming from both the NFL and the SEC. It could be just a, you know, uh, just a reinvigoration in terms of new strength and conditioning and whatnot. It might also be having a, a small, a shorter year of football last year. They, they got more juice, like more energy, and like there's less wear and tear because that's a program, Saban to D'Antonio to now Mel Tucker, they, those guys absorb a lot of hits and they take a lot on their bodies. And maybe that year was, that kind of a half year was good for them to, to, to be a little bit more ready this year. But it's been interesting to watch. They fly around on defense. And so it's going to be, I, I know more about them than I know about Michigan, but that I think that's also because they've played a conference game and obviously played a, 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 an out-of-conference game against uh, quality opponent might not be the right word to describe Miami, but at least a, 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 an opponent that we know, like, we know who they are. Especially since Washington, by the way. We hadn't talked about them, but I get it. That's a big win. for that. That's, Washington is, is Michigan's Miami game, but whoo, buddy. Washington, not good. They're, they're more not good than Miami. I think it's a combination of all of those things that you talked about with Mel Tucker, the SEC approach to conditioning and, and nutrition and all those pieces. Um, you know, our, our friend and colleague Colton Pouncey has written about that stuff, and I think it's been a concerted effort for them to get faster and stronger the way that those types of programs are built. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to hit on another team that we're trying to figure out how to be or how much concern to have about, and that's Clemson. And I think, you know, we've talked about Ohio state at length. We've talked about Oklahoma at length, but I really want to focus on Clemson because it's really jarring to see them struggle to gain yardage this way. And I wonder why this is happening. And, if there's ways to fix it. So you tell me, like, I'm like, we can get, I'll get into it. You, you tell me what you think it is. Cause I've, I've been, I've been kind of going through it. So you, I, I'll let you start and then I'll, I'll go. Okay. So I, I think we've seen DJ Ungalele last year, throw the ball around the field. Like we, we know he has that skill. He can't break 200 yards now. And we've talked about, Coming into the season, questions about the offensive line, um, figuring out the run game, the way that they're using different receivers, maybe we can talk about where they are, how they're using Justin Ross. But I I don't know. I, I, I don't know why it looks so hard. And I understand that there's going to be a drop-off from Trevor Lawrence to DJ and that we thought it would be smoother and, and a reload, not a rebuild. 
I, I get all of those things, but we saw DJ last year in different settings. Obviously, it wasn't, you know, the exact same pieces and the play calling and the environments and all of that. But I don't know. I'm just, I'm confused. I assume that some of it's him, some of it's O-line, some of it's trying to figure out who the best running back is. I don't know. Well, I, the way that I like to treat this is, is it a symptom or is it a disease? I think the disease is the offensive line, which leads to a lot of these symptoms. Uh, the symptom of DJ not being able to throw for over 200 yards, that's, that's, that, that's a symptom of the offensive line disease that they have. The, how they use Justin Ross is a symptom of the offensive line disease. Not being able to run the ball is a symptom of the offensive line disease. Bockhorst at center is ineffective. Um, he got whipped multiple times. Uh, one-on-ones against Georgia Tech's defensive front. Uh, against, not just against their defensive tackle, against the nose, against the shade. Got, 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 got his behind whoop. Um, Parks at right tackle. Also whoop. Uh, Tate. Probably their biggest, strongest offensive lineman, and he's a freshman. False starts, um, uncertainty, especially with respect to twist, blitz, stunts. That's the problem. That's the disease. So what do you do to fix that disease? How do you cure it? Well, you take, you can't, you can't. So, so what, you, what you do is, what, what Clemson is doing right now is living with a disease, and so what they're doing is taking – they're treating it through the symptoms. So what are they doing? We're not going to throw the ball down the field. How many times do they throw the ball down the field against Georgia Tech? Georgia Tech, a team that right. we know is not very good. How many times do they throw the ball down the field? Did they at all? They threw the ball over 20 yards twice. Twice. Uh, both incomplete. How many times do they throw the ball between 10 and 20 yards? Let's see. One, two, three, four. Five. Five times. That's not, that wasn't the case before. But what do you, why do you throw the ball? Why, why are your throws all largely behind the line of scrimmage or under 10? Because your offensive line can't protect. So you have to make shorter throws. Who's your best wide receiver? Justin Ross. So what do you do? You move him inside so that that's a shorter throw so that you can get the ball to him quicker so that hopefully he can make something happen on the back end. Hopefully his yak isn't big enough. Yards after catch is more. So that he can make something happen. Lynn J. Dixon obviously is in the transfer portal now. He is, he or was, probably their most complete back or most prepared back. Probably not the most gifted athletically um, compared to a guy like Will Shipley, but he knew what he was doing. But because they were trying to find a spark of explosion, you have to insert Shipley. You have to insert him because you have to find a way to create some sort of a big play. Now, the reality of it is, Longest run from the longest run they had, I believe, was 15 yards. That was about 15 yards by one out of 11 personnel. That's the other thing. You, you recognize that they can feel that they need help. They're running 11 personnel almost consistently. Uh, for people that don't understand, when you run 11 people, that means you have one running back, you have one tight end. Their tight ends, though are remarkably ineffective at blocking. Again, the big thing that Clemson has done relatively consistently 
prior to this year was run a lot of 10 personnel. One running back, no tight ends, or they ran 11 personnel, but the tight end was flexed out. They flexed the tight end out. I don't have any charts of them flexing the tight end out. No, two times. Two times I've seen flex tight end. But largely the tight end was in line or as a wing. That wing, that in line and as a wing is for run plays, and it's set up so that they can help them block. The safety play, where Chipley fumbles it into the end zone, they recover it, and it's a safety. Watch Galloway. Watch, watch Brandon Galloway. Watch the way that he is basically two yards deep into the end zone. What's the point of going heavy if your guy's going to be pushed all the way back? So the disease is up front. The symptoms are personnel packages, not throwing the ball down the field. Not, so and here's the reality. You watch this game, and this is why I mentioned this with Michigan. Georgia Tech had 10 players within nine yards of the line of scrimmage. That means there's no fear. We talked about it when we talked about – I've talked about it when I talked about Nebraska taking on Illinois, and Illinois had 11 guys within nine yards of the ball. If you can put over eight guys, not in the box. I'm not talking about in the box. The box is something different. But if you can have that many guys that close to the line of scrimmage, that means you only expect quick game, which is three-step – that's bop, 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 throw, bop, 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 throw, bop, 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 throw. You're only going to get a hitch, a slant, a speed out. Those are the only three routes that you can run out of that, or you're going to get a screen. That's it. You only get those four combos. And if that's all you're worried about, who cares about anything else? That means we're not worried about a streak down the field. We're not worried about a skinny post. We're not worried about a post corner. We don't have to worry about a – like literally what you're doing is going from a zero, a one, a two, a three, not even a three, a three, maybe a three. Zero, one, two for sure. With this, with this bubble action. We're not worried about a five, a six, a seven, an eight, a nine. You don't have to worry about any of those routes. And if you don't have to worry about those routes, then you can just play tight. And you can, whether you play man or zone, and again, this is, these are symptoms of the disease. And these symptoms compound the issues that you're facing, but the reality of it is, if they can't fix that offensive line, and I don't know how you fix it, you move Bachhorst to guard, now you got another guy at center, and we'll see what that looks like from a snap standpoint, from a speed to, to get his hands up against a, a guy that's lined up directly over him standpoint. You, you, Dabo Swinney talking about they didn't know what Georgia Tech was doing defensively. Yeah, because you got you're, – you're not you're, – you're unprepared. Yeah, I, I want to read these Dabo quotes. So this was Monday, two days after the game. He said, we were absolutely not prepared for what we saw. Did not spend one minute preparing. Give them credit. They caught us off guard. This was about Georgia Tech's defensive structure. Then Dabo also said on Clemson's first three games, it's been the weirdest first quarter of our season ever. I mean, really, really weird. He then later said, our ball security is horrendous right now. Like, he is saying things in a different way and tone and temperament than we usually ever hear from him. It's, it's, it's jarring. This, this is weird. This is a team that we've seen make the playoff, what, six times in a row? Six years in a row? And they look totally discombobulated offensively, and the level of concern is high. We're gonna well, have to here's see. here's the reality. Like, and I, I, I again, this is why I really like being in the season. 
because I get to talk about things in a, from a practical matter or, or from a literal manner, not a figurative manner. When you spend, when you have to spend all practice working on yourself, you don't get to spend that time working on the other team. When you're trying to figure out who your best offensive linemen are, you're not figuring out what you're supposed to do against uh, Jeff Collins' defense, which they do play, they do a bunch of wild stuff, and it's fantastic to watch. I love the way that they are swarming around and making plays. He, If he needs to play six defensive backs, he'll play him. If he's got three guys up front that he likes, he's going to move those three guys around, and they're going to move around pre-snap too. But when you spend, when you have to spend time on yourself, when you have things that you have to work on, that means you're not working on other stuff. And that's been a, that's a really college football specific thing because these coaches have to you have to like you can't you can't work on your opponent until you fix yourself. And they've got a lot of things to fix. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, I obviously they they put um what is it? Davis Allen, I believe, into the starting lineup and they're moving shuffling some other pieces. So, we'll see what happens, but yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Yep, and we'll we'll keep tabs on Oklahoma and Ohio State as as they progress as well. We'll get into those in a later episode. Um, before we get to our last call, Felder, we got to talk mm-hmm. a little A and M Arkansas, which I think might be the most interesting game of the week coming sure. up. So give us something to watch that'll make us a better football fan, a smarter smarter fo- football fan. Um, the big thing for me, it's going to be this zone defense. Arkansas plays tremendous zone defense. Uh, that's why they were able to really frustrate um, Sark in that that Texas def- that Texas offense. They play great zone defense. This team is tailor made. They built they're built from the inside out. Ridgeway up front is really good. So if you're going to watch this game, I would the two things I'm watching are how long uh, Calzada holds the football because there are not going to be a lot of holes in the zone. They ca- they carry and chuck crossers really well, and as he holds onto the football, that gives that defensive interior time to get to the ball. And that's the thing, that, that, to get to the quarterback. So if I'm watching anything, the thing I'm watching is how long, because in theory, having a longer time in the pocket is good for a quarterback. But in practice, and again, in practicality, literally, it's not good in this instance because what you end up with is, oh, that means nobody's open. And they're just squeezing me and going to force me out of the pocket into throwing the ball away or trying to scramble or throwing a bad throw that ends up being an interception or an incompletion. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really fun game. Good barometer for A&M. We will have lots to discuss coming out of the weekend. But we got to get to our last calls. Uh, For those who are new to the segment, this is where we rant or rave, something we would cheers to or buy around to at 2 a.m., and Felder, I will let you go first. This is basically the second part of last week's last call. Yeah, listen, we had an actual Hail Mary. Jacksonville State yes. was not a Hail Mary. It was four verts. We had two actual Hail Marys. One worked, one didn't. Uh, that's why they call it a prayer. Uh, UCLA threw an actual Hail Mary. Uh, I did not like the trajectory that DTR threw it with uh, in that game against Fresno State. But, yo, know, shout out to Fresno State, by the way. Uh, Payne and Atkins in front. Oh, love those guys. They're monsters. Um, but no, I UCLA threw a Hail Mary. You got to put more loft on that ball, DTR, to give you guys a chance to get set up. But the one I want to talk about is SMU, and SMU did a remarkable job with a wrinkle, and I love that. The idea of they had the back guy, they had so they trips the one. It was a three by one formation. Trips the one side. Uh, one guy at the top with a cut split, 
And on the snap, uh, Tanner Mordecai buys himself some time to get first guys to get down the field. You get your big tight end up front. He's uh, right at like the two-yard line, ready to catch a ricochet and then power it into the end zone. You get your second number two receiver. He's in the back, ready to catch if it goes backwards. You get your number three receiver. And the cool thing is between the play between the one side receiver and the three, the, the number one receiver on the other side, the offside receiver, the one the one side formation receiver, he takes a beeline up the field. Looks like he's going to be the safety valve, which you try to have just in case you can't throw that Hail Mary. You have to throw the ball away quick. You get him the football. But instead, he runs straight to the end zone, and you can see as he gets to the end zone, his defender starts to glob towards the big mess of people that are going to go for this jump ball. The other thing that you can see is the outside receiver to the three-by side He's running full speed, sort of in a bend. And what he does, and this is a really great wrinkle, because usually you tip it forward, you tip it back, you catch a ricochet. He runs full speed into the mass as the ball's coming down. And basically, like a volleyball, like, bang, just pushes it to the, to the, deep, the offense's right side where his guy is waiting for it. And because he's running full speed while everyone else is gathering themselves to jump, he gets the quote-unquote jump on them. Bang! We've got a touchdown. It's amazing. It's a play that they drew up. It went how they went, how they drew it up. It went how they wanted. That's a Hail Mary. That's good football. So that's what I'm I'm raving about it and ranting about people calling things that aren't Hail Marys, Hail Marys. But I loved it. It was it's a great wrinkle, tremendous add-on, and it was a it was a beautiful play for them to beat Louisiana Tech on. Great to watch live. My last call is kind of a rant and a rave. It's about this narrative coming out of the weekend that everybody is bad. Actually, this has kind of been something that's come out of every weekend. Everybody's bad. Everybody's gettable. Alabama's beatable. Ohio State's beatable. Everybody's got major flaws. I think it's good for the sport to be more wide open than it's been. Like, I I love watching a Nick Saban team execute so crisply and so well and you watch like perfection happening and it's kind of artistic but I like that there's teams that can emerge and there's a Penn State or an Oregon and people we haven't seen contend to make the college football playoff in a while in the mix or at least teams we think can be pretty good so I, I like all of that but I think that some of this narrative that everything is bad everyone is bad is wishful thinking, is just groupthink. And -hmm. everyone deciding collectively, this is how we are going to view this season. We are not going to realize that it's kind of insulting to tell all of these teams that they're bad, quote, bad. And it's okay to have flaws and work on them and improve throughout the season. Like, it's cool to be Iowa, be who you are, have some serious questions offensively, and work on it. Like, I, I think this narrative is, is just a little lazy. It's a little bit wishful thinking. I do think it's good for the sport to have flawed teams and new teams. But I think everyone is trying to will this to happen, that Alabama is majorly flawed and not going to be favored in the rest of their games or whatever. Um, or Oklahoma won't win the Big 12 or whatever that might be. Those teams, those may, it may not happen, but I just think we are overreacting to some close calls or some tighter than expected games. 
and people just are willing this idea of chaos to happen when maybe we've seen it or we've seen glimpses, but we don't know that it's going to be one of those types of seasons. Yeah, I just, for me, it's, I, and this is, again, for me, if you're, if you put the, if you're going to put the time, if if you're going to, if you're going to parrot the narrative, I'd like to see the work. That's my big thing. My mom's, my mom and dad were both math teachers. I, you don't just get to have an answer. You got to show the work. Uh, on that note, I like that. We will end on that. Thank you for listening to Power Hour. If you are not already an athletic subscriber, you can sign up at theathletic.com slash Nicole for a special on your first year. One True Pod will be on this feed later this week with Max Olson, Jason Kersey, and Sam Kahn, Andy Staples, Ari Wasserman. They'll be back later on the feed on the week. And we will be back next Tuesday for the next episode of Power. For Michael Felder, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and thank you for listening. (laughs) 